Hi, this is Sarah Murphy, school librarian and teacher of English and theater. You are listening to the Point of Learning podcast with my pal and fellow library lover, Peter Horn. On today's show, the practice of listening. You have a moment where you hear something and you know you now hear it because you've learned how to listen for it. The practice of listening to music, in this case recorded music, can open us up to all kinds of things. It's permitting yourself to be vulnerable, which is, I think, a foundational component to sympathy, and I think it's a foundational component to allowing your mind to be changed. When we're really dealing with real problems and we're really dealing with real human experience, we need to be open to transformation at any level. For seven weeks at the end of 2018, the Library for the Performing Arts in New York City, a magical branch of the New York Public Library on the plaza at Lincoln Center, right next to the Metropolitan Opera House, undertook a wonderful experiment in public art. The Astor Gallery transformed into a great listening room, arrayed with comfortable seating, inviting everyone, free of charge, to come in, take a load off, and listen to selected recordings called from the immense sound archives. In honor of that experiment, this episode of Point of Learning will blaze an experimental trail of our own. We've got a guest, Jonathan Hyam, who will come back to do a standard interview for another episode sometime in the future. Today, however, Dr. Hyam, the curator of music and recorded sound at the library, will be our tour guide for a taste of the experience that he and his team spearheaded in the exhibit they called Listening at the Library. Imagine a large room, clean and white, but very inviting. If you've ever entered the Library for the Performing Arts from 10th Avenue, you may know it as the Astor Gallery, but you may never have seen it quite like this. Nine immense beanbag chairs in various colors are arrayed like the squares of a tic-tac-toe board on a large area rug with thick gray shag. The lighting from cans on the ceiling alternates cool and warm with red, blue, green, and amber gels filtering the mood. Panels of gray acoustical tile, six feet high, snake along two sides of the wall to maximize the acoustical experience for listeners. The room is cozy and clean, public, but set up for individual comfort as well as shared enjoyment. On three squat columns toward the front of the room sit two speakers and a record player that is not actually being used for playback, but helps to unify the feel of the space. The t- 
You may not notice at first how carefully designed the floor plan is, such that visitors who use wheelchairs can also enjoy fully what it has to offer. That's thanks to the skill of designer Caitlin Whittington, who made sure that the room would be comfortable for everyone who visited, which was important to the curators. Most people feel comfortable going into a, a space that they can feel safe and relaxed, yeah. and therefore be open to whatever experience. This experience, you will notice, is not one of easy listening. While there are plenty of popular tracks in the library's collection of 700,000 recordings, the offerings showcased in listening at the library were full of surprises and unusual challenges for your ear and brain. The week I visited featured work by late 20th century genius composer and performer Arthur Russell. I want to note now my thanks to Steve Knutson of Autica Records and Tom Lee of the estate of Arthur Russell for allowing Point of Learning to use excerpts from these rare tracks. This one, called See Through, begins with the composer's singing and playing cello. But he keeps you on your toes. Arthur Russell happens to be an artist I've learned something about and fallen in love with since Jonathan introduced me to his work last year. But the point of this library exhibit isn't to educate through biographical facts or written words of any kind. There is a playlist posted identifying the tracks, but the focus is aural, auditory. Now, Jonathan is somebody with advanced degrees in music, so he is hardly intimidated by new sounds. I asked him how he would advise the average listener to begin to get into music fairly different from what they're used to. Whatever it is that stands out to you, that catches your attention, that you notice is the place to start to learn how to listen because you can ask why did it stand out to you what about that caught my attention that's it you don't need so to like have a, a particular instrument might come in or there's a sound pattern or just something unexpected anything that occurs anything to you that in you whatever pick up you're on listening because to. i think if something if you notice something something just catches your ear your whatever you may have no idea how to describe it. So that's the first step you have to sort of learn. Like, how can I okay. describe okay. using my own terms and yeah. my own language right. so I understand, like, what is it that I'm hearing, that I'm noticing? Why? And you can take that further. Why is it of interest to me? Why is... And you can just start to notice and observe the 
world as you're learning to know it. Fooling around the side of the house where the hide you can get up on it makes a case for hope, for example, because it is a real experience you can have where things are to be sort of ancient about it, sort of revealed to you. You have a moment where you hear something and you know you now hear it because you've learned how to listen for it. And that's different. And so you, that's like, um, what would you call it? Like a transferable skill, right? It's sure. something you can take to all aspects of all arenas in which you're listening. Let's hang out a minute in the listening room, shall we? When you enter on the second Monday in December, the space has just one visitor, a woman in her early 20s selecting the optimal Instagram filter for her self-portrait. You take a seat on one of the upholstered benches in the back. One hour later, a dance student from Juilliard across the street drops his backpack and nonchalantly flips himself onto one of the giant beanbag chairs. The young woman leaves as two sixth-grade girls charge wide-eyed into the center of the room, amazed that their trip with mom to the library has taken this unexpected turn. You can't imagine this is the music they normally hear, but they seem totally into it. Soon they settle into homework while mom checks her phone. After about 10 minutes, mom sets down the phone, leans back into her beanbag, and, assessing that you, over here with your clipboard and notepad, are not much of a threat, closes her eyes. We're used to hearing live music with strangers, of course. Not so much recorded music. We attend performances of recorded film together at the movie theater, but we're divided by rigid rows and increasingly encouraged by sumptuous lazy boys with gargantuan cup holders to consider ourselves lone consumers, each on our own island. Listening at the library aims to disrupt this feeling. This is designed as a public space dedicated to the practice of listening. Featuring recordings from the New York Public Library's Rogers and Hammerstein Archives of Recorded Sound, among the largest and most diverse sound archives in the world, these playlists are drawn from 0.7 million recordings of spoken word, radio broadcasts, field recordings, live performance, and music found in the archives. According to the mission statement posted where you enter, listening at the library argues for the reinvigoration of a communal listening experience, one which encourages the safe and free exchange of ideas through sounds and embraces the simultaneity of diverse worldview brought to the room by any given listener, 
at any given time. I think the premise of that is simply to make space for people to listen in groups simultaneously um, and listen to recorded sound because they it's a different experience than live performance. Bringing people together in a physical, like having a physical space to experience the things that we take care of at the library in particular, and to have these kind of open dialogues, subjectless dialogues, you know, unproblematized sound in open free spaces, I think just gives people a place to have a communal experience with strangers in a way that's different than a communal experience with strangers online. Think of, well, the most basic example is how we, you know, put it in this context, how we consume commercial music. Okay, so in 1975, uh, you're still pretty likely to be listening with your friends in your room on a stereo system. You would listen in an open room to music with other people as an activity. People still do this, of course, but it's more likely that people are consuming music through their headphones. Sure. Or through, this isn't like a, meant to be a snobby thing, or, or they're listening to through speakers off of their phone or their laptop that so distort what the audio really can do. It's kind of been reduced to a very singular experience in a way that doesn't necessarily interact in larger groups of people. So the notion of like a hi-fi culture that existed, that experience was about open rooms with open speakers, recreating or creating the highest quality playback sound. And that was meant to be enjoyed in the open with others or by yourself. But you know, that was just because these guys are in their basement a lot anyhow. We've been hearing some of Russell's piece in the Corn Belt. 25-minute vamp featuring vocalist Julius Eastman. For this last segment, I want to go back to City Park, the ensemble performance we started with, recorded from a live broadcast on WKCR in December of 1973. This is an early piece by Arthur Russell, which his composition teacher Charles Warrenen described as the most unattractive thing he'd ever heard. I mention this comment because it points to one real benefit of hanging out and listening to something that at first we don't think we like. It is absolutely, as Jonathan said, a transferable skill, one very helpful when we're talking politics or other areas of shared concern. It is inspiration.
it's permitting yourself to be vulnerable, which is, I think, a foundational component to sympathy, and I think it's a foundational component to allowing your mind to be changed. And I think that that is a risk that we don't take very often for all kinds of normal sort of reasons, you know, but I think when we're really dealing with real problems and when we're really dealing with real human experience, we need to be open to transformation at any level. I asked Jonathan to compare the skills involved in really listening to music versus really listening to people. Pleasure. I think listening to people is more advanced. I think to truly listen to somebody, they have to feel as if you really listen to them. And that's... I don't know how else to describe that, but I think many people have probably had that experience. You know when someone's listening to you. White ants. It will be. We're going to be just a couple more minutes here after which I'll provide fuller gratitude. But let me take a moment now to thank you for joining us on this quick trip listening at the library. Whether or not you choose to set up a listening room of your own for a day or a week at your office or school or next conference, I wish you many new sounds and good ideas worth your careful attention in the new year. Nothing. You are not listening to a city park, but a composition entitled City Park, arranged by Arthur Russell and composed by Arthur Russell and his friends. And Arthur Russell and Jimmy. Organist Andrew Frank. Drummer David Van Tegum. Technical assistants Peter Frank and Joseph Ness, heretofore known as Human Elements. General technical assistance provided by Greg Kokarinas. And the indispensable Jim Carroll. The program to which you are listening is Stranger Than Paradise. I'm Phil Klein, and now radio station WKCR-FM, New York City, New York, concludes another broadcast day. WKCR-FM is owned by the trustees of Columbia University in the city of New York, 
and is operated in the public interest at 89.9 on the dial by undergraduate students of Columbia and Barnard. Our studios and offices are located at 595 West 114th Street and transmitter at 515 Madison Avenue in Manhattan. Most of our music programs are presented in stereo. This is not the case right now. Portions of our broadcast schedule are mechanically reduced. This is not the case either. This is Phil Klein. Good evening. That's what we came up with. Something simple, something inviting, something that people could come in and no matter what was playing, they could... It didn't matter. They can sit there and listen because it's meant to just let people sit there and be themselves and listen to this. And... um, Sometimes they interact, sometimes they don't, but everybody is able to sit there and nobody beats anybody up or screams or turns the back on them. So there's something to that. Acceptant. That's it for today's show. My great thanks to Dr. Jonathan Hyam and all the leadership and staff at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts. Props to designer Caitlin Whittington and the building staff, security guards, and everyone else who made this possible. Special thanks again to Steve Knutson of Autica Records and Tom Lee of the estate of Arthur Russell for allowing Point of Learning to use clips from these rare tracks. To hear more Arthur Russell, check the links on the show page. Thanks, as always, to our resident composer-performer, Schaefer James, who lets us use instrumental versions of Weight of the World and Villainous Thing for intro and outro. And thanks to you for listening, sharing, subscribing to, and rating Point of Learning. Please tell one friend curious about what and how and why we learn just what we're up to around ya. Back soon with my interview with Epic Theater Ensemble co-founder and co-artistic director, Melissa Friedman. You're gonna love it. Does the music know we're listening to it? You know, that'd be, it, we, we could kind of talk, that'd be fun to just talk about for a couple hours, but it's, in, in the end, it's, it's not all that interesting, so...